Do you, um, do you find that people are surprised that you're sports knowledgeable? It always stuns them that I both played sports and still watch sports and love sports. It's like, there's some sort of like, you can't be an academic and into this kind of art stuff. If you like sports. And I'm like, you know, you folks would be really surprised at how many crossovers there are between the arts and sports. Oh, no, absolutely. <laughs> like, which, yeah. which we're going to get into today. Too. Yeah, but, exactly. Uh, exactly. Yeah. It's yeah. not really that hard to, you know, to see the parallels, but, um, but anyway, yeah. yeah. I'm always shocked. You know, the people too, they, they always imagine that we just should be withering away in some darkened, room filled by yeah, dusty like a, professors have like a a panic room or something that's you know that they just hide out in and grade papers and read books all day and write on scrolls right that's we're, what we we're, do we're all sad like that novel stoner <laughs> yeah. you know did you ever read that uh, yeah <laughs> well you were telling me about it yeah yeah i mean that we're all just like you know it's all tragic we're all just tragic figures that there's no joy in our lives. I'm like, no, no, plenty of, plenty of joy. Write about film, write about music, yeah. you know, write about yeah. sports, watch sports, go to sporting yeah. events. Uh, yeah. It's, it's uh, you know, life will feed you, but you have to step outside the door, you know, and uh, be willing to experience some things, you know? So. Indeed. Yeah. Indeed, my friend. And yeah. on top of uh on top of sports, uh uh we're lonely PhDs. I'm Dr. Jeffrey Hazy's Dr. Joseph Watson. We actually uh delve into uh films in this podcast uh as sort of our primary uh thrust of what we do. Uh two films on the docket today. Uh High Flying Bird from 2019, directed by Steven Soderbergh and Boone Tomahawk 2015 directed by S Craig Zaylor uh which was a, a, a very 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 interesting watch i must say coming off of all quiet on the western front last <laughs> last episode and i just kind of i mumbled under my breath as soon as it started opening scene i mumbled under my breath i was just like he's done it to me again um, <laughs> had you never seen Bone Tomahawk? No, I have oh, not okay, seen Bone okay, Tomahawk. Okay, so, uh, okay. but I, I, I want to jump oh. into High Flying Bird. First. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, yeah. Let's, I want to, I want to talk about this. Uh, so, uh, starring Andre Holland and Zazie Beetz. Uh, this was part of uh, Soderbergh's Netflix deal. Uh, he made a couple films for Netflix, and this was the first one. Um, so, High Flying Bird. Let's see how best can I describe. I'm going to use the IMDB pitch because those are always fun. Uh, during a pro basketball lockout, a sports agent played by Andre Holland pitches a rookie basketball client on an intriguing and controversial business proposition. Well, I can go ahead and tell you right now that that's not really what this movie is about. Um, <laughs> uh, this is, you know, how is it that we always forget about Steven Soderbergh? You know, he's always schooling us. Uh, it seems like every film he is schooling us. And once again, this was at the start of his iPhone phase uh, of filmmaking. And I'm going to tell you right now, folks, again, I've shot on iPhone. He actually encouraged me because he was shooting on iPhone to pick up my iPhone and figure out and get, you know, the, the, uh, uh, the film app and, you know, the lens and figure out all these things and it just, I'm going to just say right off the bat, this film looks gorgeous. Yep. It, it just is shot yes, in anamorphic. And I mean, he's already testing the bounds of like what you can do 
you know, dolly shots and tracking shots and, you know, all of these things. And I've seen set photos. It just looks so funny to see this little phone on a huge track, right? With this small anamorphic lens like attached to it. And it's just, it's just, it's just gorgeous. What, what, I mean, where, what's your stance on his, because he, he also pioneered shooting on digital video. You know, he's yes. a big proponent of that. Yes. Yeah. I mean, um, he, he really kind of ushered it in. He was one of the first to shoot on reds. Uh, you know, Shay was shot um, on, on reds and it was one of the first features to be shot on, on red cameras. So he's always been kind of at the forefront of experimentation with cameras. Um, he's kind of a camera nerd in that way. Like he's just really always wanting to experiment with whatever's new that's on the market. Uh, the Florida Project, I think, was a movie that I first heard that was a feature that used iPhones that was getting like critical release praise. So I was, you know, really happy that somebody like Soderbergh was going to try and take it to another level and really experiment and see what he could do with it. Um, I'm all for it. Um, you know, I, I think it's obviously from the look of this film. And that's, you know, I, I mean, I'm sure it went through some some pretty robust post-production for, you know, color correction and, and stuff like that. But, um, uh, but yeah, some of those sequences, you know, I, I keep thinking, why am I watching like a two and a half minute walking montage? Mm -hmm. And then I would realize, oh, he's playing with the, he's playing you know, with, the, with the iPhone and to see what we, what, you know, what all is possible and what all he can do, you know, yeah. so. And just gorgeous vistas of yeah. Brooklyn and downtown New York. And, yeah. I, I, I mean, this thing is is really flexing its its muscles, you know, and and he's flexing his cinematic muscles, but he's always flexing his cinematic mm -hmm. muscles. I think of like in, in this film to me is is in the same grouping as the Limey and mm -hmm. Beyond the Candelabra, which by the way is my sleeper Soderbergh film. I always encourage people. I'm like, man, watch that Beyond the Candelabra. It's such a good movie. The performances yeah, he gets out of out of Michael Douglas and Matt Damon are just amazing. I um I I, I it's hard for me to to um to pick some of Soderbergh's like best ones, but I agree with you that he's um that some of his sort of lesser known ones are usually the ones that are the best, right? Uh, out of out of the litter, right? Um he he went through a lot to get that movie made that Liberace yes, movie did. that you're talking about. Yeah. Um, uh, just a tremendous amount of, of legwork and a lot of convincing to get Michael Douglas to, you know, to, to do that role. Um, what are you doing over there? Mumbles. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> <laughs> love him. And I, I guess, I, you know, I mean, I guess today, if you were to make a Liberace movie, you, there would be, you know, with the casting pressures, you know, there would be a cultural pressure to cast someone who was, who's actually homosexual or, you know, yes. you know, in, in the role. Um, but uh, fine, fine performances um, oh, for man. sure, for sure. In that film. Are we, um, are we ever surprised? It's like, you know, are there bad performances in Soderbergh films? I, you know, I'm pretty hard pressed uh, to think about it. Uh, I mean, even going back to, to Sex, Lies, and Videotape, I mean, it's still... Yeah, everybody's very well cast in that very, movie. Um, very well cast and very well... I mean, maybe Schizopolis, but Schizopolis is supposed to be ridiculous. So, you know, and he's even in Schizopolis. So, I mean, it's not... I I've, just, only, I've only seen that once, yeah. So it's yeah. hard to, for me to to remember. But no, I can't think of anything right off the top of my head where I'm yeah. like, that didn't work, you know, Um 
or that casting choice didn't work. Um, but yeah, this, this one was, um, I felt kind of like you have to settle in this movie, right? Like, because the first, I don't know, I guess the first act, you're still kind of trying to figure out, is this, is this a basketball movie? Mm-hmm. Is it a, is it like a corporate business movie? Is it a movie about racial politics? Um, is it um, is it a documentary, right? Because he's using real life NBA players. Yes, he's intercutting. And yeah. yeah, which is which was fascinating. So it took it. So everyone, if you if you go there, you know, just know that for the first 15, 20 minutes, you sort of have to settle right into his mm-hmm. sort of modality. Right. But once you once you kind of figure out, OK, there's going to be more of kind of an umbrella kind of approach. And we're looking at several different sort of issues that can pop up out of this, but we're not really going to sort of explore in depth any single one of those issues. We're just going to kind of let them enter the fray in sort of an organic, natural way. Right. Um, right. It's kind of like the anti Jerry Maguire in a way this Agreed. movie is right. Yeah. Um, uh, well, it's, it's like the, it's the about, flip, right? Well, I think it's about autonomy, mm-hmm. you know, in, in, in really prescient, this came out in 2019 I'm, I like I, I couldn't find if they shot at 18 or not. And then, you know, but knowing him, he probably shot it in 30 days or whatever, you know, and worked <laughs> really fast. Um, you know, this is really prescient about NILs, right? I mean, in, okay, so for people who don't know about sports lingo, this is NILs are known as name, image, and likeness. And just in the last few years, they have finally been allowing athletes to claim their own NILs and athletes are finally getting a lot of money, especially college athletes. Um, I think uh, Bryce Young, who's the court, who was the quarterback of Alabama, I mean, his NILs were worth like 7 million, I think mm-hmm. uh, uh, in the last year, you know, and, and so, so athletes are finally able to control how they're portrayed, their own image, their own likeness. Like when, you know, they sell to video games and they want to copy you, you know, you now have to go through the athlete. So I, it, it's, it's been a remarkable ride in this movie. I found, I just kept, my ears kept perking up because I'm just like, oh, they're talking about NIL. Mm-hmm. You know, this is basically what, you know, this is about. It's about the last, in, now the NBA, that's your game. That is your jam. You, you have been a long long-standing NBA person watching it from that perspective of, of being such a long-term fan. I mean, what did you think of him kind of the, diving into the politics of a lockout and, you know, who suffers, who doesn't suffer, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. Well, that's, I thought that was some of the most interesting parts of the movie uh, is when they were discussing those politics and what, um i'm i'm gonna i mean i've never played in the nba i've never worked for the nba i'm just i'm just a watcher right but um but from what i know uh about the business side of it what i read is it's pretty it's it's pretty accurate you know um in terms of when lockouts occur or when there's business um decisions that have to be made by the owners um there's a class hierarchy, right? That is that is uh, uh, set up to where your you know your primary players, your your LeBrons, your your Kobe's, your Durants, whatever, they're going to be just fine, right? They can make it through a, a, a long-standing union sort of standoff, but your rookies, uh, you know, your young pups uh, that are that are coming into the league. 
they're not making that kind of bank and uh you know they're not going to get paid uh they're not going to get their checks uh which means that everyone who works for that player is also not going to get their uh their checks and their uh and their revenue um and so the the um the idea of that sort of class hierarchy that's created from the salary based position i mean uh you know, I think at one point Bill Duke's character, yes. you know, the old, the old co- Bill oh, Duke man, is amazing, so, but isn't so he amazing. great? Like he's just great, right? Just his presence, like is, oh, man. right? Just, just amazing. So when he talks about the NBA draft and how it reminds him of just you know like slave block selling mm-hmm. in the you know and the you know and and it's modern day slavery, you know, selling these young black men to the white owners. That I, yeah, I mean that is a racial dimension to basketball. You know, normally we look at basketball as a, or sports in general, really as a, as a, um, as a positive thing for it's a celebration. Every, right. Um, uh, but, um, but of course there's seediness underneath there's, you know, I mean, people are people, you're going to find unethical people everywhere. Well, even so, Andre uh, Holland's character tells right. that our, our young person, he's just like, doesn't even know about the 35% tax shelter. You know, I mean, it's just all of these things. And I think he, this is part of the thrust of why Soderbergh intercuts these real NBA players who are very high draft picks uh, in talking about being a rookie and coming into the league and, you know, how the NBA at the least at the time of filming in 2018, 2019, you know, they only school them for like a day or two. Like, I think that's mentioned that they go to like one or two days of like, welcome to the NBA. Here's what you need to know to try to survive. And it's just like, are you insane? Yeah, it sounded kind of <laughs> like new faculty orientation, right? You're going right. for like three hours and then you're done, right? And you, get, and you get all the presentations, HR, like all that, right? And and it sounds like they do that to these 18, 19 year old kids sometimes. Um, and who, who, who have just, by the way, inherited millions of dollars all of a sudden they've they've gotten to a point where they've you know and and not presuming but a lot of individuals who make it to professional sports you know they didn't always come from the best socioeconomic backgrounds and so when they do find success like that you know they want to take care of their families they want to you know they want to buy them nice things or they want to take care they want to repay right like Mm -hmm. their mothers or dads or whatever um, and so they're excited, right? It's, I mean, I, I cannot imagine being 18, 19 years old and all of a sudden oh having you know, six, seven figures in your direct deposit, like, or your bank. Yes. I mean, it's just, it's mind boggling. Um, it's something you can't really wrap your head around. And, 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 you know, Soderbergh really ratchets it up here in this film by the extraordinary pressure that, you know, a very sympathetic agent in Andre Holland He's playing that. He's like he's actually floating his clients. He's got a he's got a an egg. He says he's got his egg built up, and he's trying to float his clients through this lockout, you know. But the rookie that we're centering on in the film has yet to be drafted. Will be drafted by a quote unquote New York team. Here we would know it to be the Knicks. I mean, they they can't say the Knicks, but you know it's the New York team, and. You know, he hasn't even been drafted yet. So there's no guaranteed money yet on the table, but yet he's trying to take care of him because he knows that the payday is going to come, right? And I think that what's interesting about Holland's character is that it never seems lascivious, right? Like there is actual, he has actual genuine care. And, uh, you know, Soderbergh and the screenwriter with this particular story have also wrapped what, what seems to be an un- this other narrative about that why 
our agent character cares so much is that he had a family member that he actually represented. And we really don't know what happened. Yeah. You know, did did suicide, I think. Did Did he he die? Did he commit suicide? I mean, it's kind of left. It's kind of cool though, that ambiguity because Mm -hmm. it keeps getting kind of touched on. And then it's so touchy that no, we're not going to talk about this. Right. Like, I think that that's pretty, I think that's pretty smart writing. In my opinion. <laughs> yeah. You know, you, you drop enough clues and, and you give them just enough context to where you don't need to know all of the details. You just need to know that, okay, well, something really tragic happened there and it's still fresh, right? It's still, it's, it's still going to bother them. But that's where I saw a lot of the Jerry Maguire parallels is I was like, well, here's an agent that not in a comedic way this is a this is a you know straight up drama but um but there are that, funny there are funny elements oh yeah 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 but he but he um you know he cares you know there's there's quite a bit of time spent on pressuring um you know the audience to understand that you know this particular person is an agent second but a lover of the game first, first right and he wants to you know he really wants to there's all this language about respecting the game and honoring the heritage and all you know and and um you know that's a I, I would I would agree with Soderbergh that I think those individuals are rarities um uh in the agent world but um I'd like to think that those people still exist and I'm sure they do but um you know there's definitely uh there's definitely this idea of how these young men need quality mentors by their side to not only help them with their finances, but to help them understand where their place is, how privileged they are, how wonderful it is to get a chance to play in this kind of professional um, situation and, and how connected they become to a lineage and a history of people who come before them who have, you know, broken barriers um, and, 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 you know, and open doors uh, for these individuals. So there does seem to be, uh, I liked that part of the film as well, where, you know, where they uh, talking about respecting the, the tradition of the game, the quality of the game, you know, allowing the game to mature and develop and, and adapt, you know, to, uh, to, to new stuff. That was some of the strongest stuff. Um, you know, well, I have to say this too. Yeah, yeah. go ahead. Go ahead. Well, I was going to say, what do you think then about the reveal of the Bible? Like at the end, like what, what did that leave you with as far as, I mean, it's, it's definitely the takeaway message moment, right. Of, of the film. Uh, and I'm not going to spoil it for anyone here, but you know, uh, uh, Andre Holland's agent character gives the young basketball guy a, a package at the beginning. He's just like, it's a Bible. He's like, what, like a, like a religious Bible. He's like, no, no. He's just like, you'll find out when you open. Like, and so the whole movie has this great device, right? It's just like, what's in the package? What's in the package? What's in the package? And then it gets revealed. And we, the, the, I loved the last moment of this movie when she turns and is just like, you got to read this. Like, <laughs> It's so brilliantly constructed. No surprise there, but you know, I mean, it's just what do you, what do you think of that reveal? Well, I thought it was great. I mean, I, I I I too was wondering, like the audience, you know, what what is this MacGuffin? You know, that he's kind of put out here. We keep referencing it here and there, um, but no, I thought it was an empowering moment. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, I I really liked that part of the ending because it it. Um, yeah, it it left me with this sense of um, what is going, you know, what is yet to come, right? From well, the this, future from this is in your hands. Yeah. The future is in your hands. Your there hands. you go. Nicely yeah. said. It, it, um, 
Yeah. And, and so, yeah, I, I, I thought the ending was, uh, was empowering and I, and, and it was hard for me to, at times to stay with that, that, that sort of narrative thread that he created because I got so wrapped up in watching with what he was doing with the camera. Uh, I know, right. You can't, you know, I, I mean, I just, he really, I, I, you know, and I get it. iPhones are small, so you can go and, crevices and different places you can get angles Do you see that that, you... that one floating shot in the train you know the one i'm talking about like yes. where he comes down the aisle and then yes yeah i'm like i'm like what 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 are you doing that's I, crazy but you know all of that all of those uh all of that rigging and gear for mobile use is really flexible jeff i mean you you can you can do all these interesting little tricks uh that that just separate it just a little bit but enough you know for um uh for the audiences to just be like oh that was that was cool you know you you could if you didn't know that this was shot on on iPhones you you I don't think you could tell a no, difference no, at all not. at not. all um you know you, you I mean you just think oh it was a panavision or whatever but it 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 uh, yeah so I got caught up in his <laughs> in his uh in his camera work um which i think he's probably would be happy to hear right that you <laughs> that you're paying attention to some of the stuff he was doing but it did take me out of the story a couple times can i ask you a question about the music that he chose the, the bill withers song right yeah Half-Line third. oh no sorry, richie havens because because you're 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 more of a music uh uh you know um historian appreciator you know than i am uh is there any relevance to that song because he kept coming back to it like over and over and over again is there anything that you think he's trying to hit home at with that because he's you know, a smart guy oh no yeah i was so absorbed in the movie okay i, I yeah. didn't this time at least i'm sure if i had my closed captioning on uh that that i would have probably paid a little bit more attention to it uh but this time no i didn't because i was just i was just so enraptured with the film yeah. Like it, in itself. Yeah. And by the way, folks, this is 90 minutes. He does this bad boy in three acts. This it's again testament to just a director who's just always on top of his game. I I I just it's so hard. And I want to ask you this question is just like what what do you think attracted him to this project? Like this just it, it's a very odd but then again he always seems to be making very odd choices about projects but you know to make it seems to me like he wanted to make a sports film and you know this is to get because he always wants to do something in genre right like he's mm -hmm. very always interested in doing something in a genre maybe that he hasn't worked in before so this is this is Soderbergh's sports film and you know but it's not a sports film <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Well, I'm sure that there were some things that appealed to him about, you know, just the concept of 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 trying to shoot something like this that's so uh, that scale wise is so big. But how can you, you know, the challenge I guess is how can I contain it, uh, you know, um, scale wise um, to make it work. I think the story is probably appealed to him because it's dealing with. Um, you know, pretty pretty large scale organization, but it's you know he he tends to like though stories of individuals against mm. you know uh, the individual against uh, the collective or or the individual kind of working um, and having to um, 
to either change something about themselves or change the system that they're, you know, wrapped up within. Right. Um, uh, he likes those kinds of stories. I mean, you know, I mean, he made a four hour movie about Shay. So, you know, I mean, I, you know, I, I mean, I, I, it's certainly he's drawn to those kinds of stories about individuals who are, you know, um, fighting against, uh, you know, considerable odds or what seem like stacked odds right against him. Um, so that's, I, I don't know, that's probably what initially drew him. And then the idea of getting to experiment right with uh, with uh, with the camera work um, was another thing. You know, Jeff, something I noticed. I just have to put this out there. Mm-hmm. There's only one white character in this whole thing. Oh, Kyle McLaughlin. Well, and yeah. I was okay. So I guess there's two. Kyle McLaughlin's in there, what, for like less than a few minutes, like five minutes, it's 10 really, minutes, maybe? Yeah, 10, 15. Total minutes, screen like, time, yeah, maybe? Total screen time. And then Zachary Quinto, right? So, right. But it's it's nice to see uh, movies where representation like that is flipped, you know? Mm-hmm. And it's like, it's it, and it's, something that i noticed you know uh and i was like this is great right um because i'm i'm in the middle of act two and i'm just now noticing this and i think it's great you know um uh and so i i just i I have to you know i've been talking a lot this week with the students about how we need to be careful not to acknowledge where progress has occurred Mm -hmm. right and um even though you you might have had a white director on this right i mean this was very much an african-american story right and so um it it, it, i don't know i just we need to acknowledge those things when we see them and when we catch them because we have had some progress and i think it's okay to to be excited about that and to be positive still a lot of work to be done no question right but like that we have these moments right where we can say this is different right um you know, 80s, 90s, it would have been different, right? Uh, but but now we're seeing that we have made some progress, right, in those areas. So I, I just had to point that out, too. I thought it was well, good. And, and I'll point out, too, that I think he was attracted to this project because there is a larger metaphor here working about the film industry. Um, you know, and, and, you know, the constant uh, 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 callbacks to, you know, being independent, being a free agent, not having to work you know, work for yourself, be contract, you know, for hire, make sure that you get paid for what you want to do. Right. You know, not be co-opted. Yeah. It's all there. Yeah, like it, it's, it's, it's in the language of the film. It's in the visuals of the film. It's in everything. And I just felt like, I just felt like he didn't pass up this opportunity to say, Hey, cause this was his first Netflix film too. So mm-hmm. I'm just saying like, he's just saying that again, you can do what you want to do. You can, you know, you don't have to, feel constrained right you know all the time and again the freedom of filming with the iphone and you know things of that nature is just like just pick up and he's still just pick up and go you know what i mean like you know in in i think he probably negotiates when they talk to him about budgets i'm sure he thinks about the 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 project as a whole but i have to believe that he's always taking a very low ball number uh so that he can get in there and get dirty yeah, I don't. I don't know. Um, that's a good question. I, I, I mean, I definitely think that um, that that's a great metaphor. I think it's totally there. I agree with you. I think you could read it that way. I think he probably read, certainly had had that connection to the content in that way. You know, he. I don't know if you read this, but I think they did a profile on him in 2017, mm-hmm. um, and he was talking about really negatively about movies. 
Oh yeah, he said he was quitting. You know, it's like it's like quitting. his second time he was quitting. He's quitting. He's done. He doesn't see the point in movies anymore. He feels like they don't have any kind of cultural resonance anymore. And then the dude turns around and goes and makes you know three or four films. So I, yeah, I I, I think he probably just has uh, those are more of the sort of struggles that to me when when somebody when a when a really talented creative starts talking like that about their respective industry mm-hmm. it usually means that they're just kind of burned out and they need to you know or they're not getting to do a passion project in the way that they want to do it and so they're having to pass on it or you know and so it's frustration but i was disheartened when i heard that from him because you know soderberg has been you know, when I first got to LSU, everybody was talking about Soderbergh because, you know, Sex Lies and Videotape. I mean, it just kind of like shot that independent um, idea into the cultural zeitgeist, right? I mean, yeah. Sundance, all of those things kind of popped up. And this around was the late 80s, early 90s. Late 80s, right? early 90s. And, um, you know, and Soderbergh's dad uh, was a professor in the education department at LSU. And so, you know, we had um, we had some circles of folks uh who um you know who had worked with him right um and uh and so he comes from you know those true indie film roots right where you know you just you get a ragtag bunch of people together and you and you go shoot on whatever's available right and you just tell the best story possible he's always been such a champion of of filmmaking and so for me to read that a few years ago i was like oh well that's that's disheartening. I'm sorry that he's gotten, you know, kind of jaded. So it was refreshing uh, to see the movie uh, High Flying Bird and to see him still practicing his craft as 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 sharply as he has. I'm I'm telling you, folks, some of that camera work, you know, and you're talking about this metaphor, Jeff. I mean, some of that camera work where he's weaving in between these giant skyscrapers and it's, you it know, gorgeous, man. just the small person against that giant corporate world, you know, it. It's it's all there, and that camera work and cinematography is definitely phenomenal. I mean, it's worth the watch just for that. I think if you don't get into the story, we're it, and I know it. we're completely nerding out on it. <laughs> but that's, that's what, what we, we do. do. This, yeah, that's this what, is we do. what we do. Nerd out uh, about this stuff. Uh, we're uh, we're lonely PhDs. I'm Dr. Jeffrey Hayes. He's Dr. Joseph Watson. We just got done talking about Steven Soderbergh's high flying bird uh, from 2019 that is available on netflix if you want to watch that and i do highly recommend uh, uh that you watch it um up next bone tomahawk from 2015 written and directed by s craig zayler starring kurt russell and a gaggle of great character actors and i'll just turn this over to you real quick to give us a quick uh quick 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 synopsis <laughs> of of bone tomahawk like what yeah yeah so bone tomahawk is about uh sort of has a classic western storyline uh there's been an abduction from the town um and uh so a search party is is of course sent out to find these um these individuals who've been who've been abducted by uh what's called in the movie a group of troglodytes but um it's really kind of like these strange cannibalistic prehistoric kind of um people uh you know um not indigenous they're not native americans uh it's something different um which uh is is uh how the film sort of tries to work on its major sort of hybridity which is we're combining western and horror here and it's not 
that's not something that you see very often. I mean, it's been done before, but, um, you know, I mean, you could even think of something like Hills Have Eyes, you know, Wes Craven's film is a a horror Western, right? Tremors, Ravenous, you know, like there's Burrowers, right? There's been some really, really good ones that have combined this, but Bone Tomahawk just does not take any hesitation in giving you raw brutality yeah the violence of the violence in the right is nasty um and and i just you know the uh, yeah so so basically uh, a search party goes out right and it's 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 kurt russell's the sheriff and and uh richard jenkins plays his deputy and it 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 does kind of have this old school you know kind of uh walter brennan john wayne kind of sort of remorphed relationship right patrick wilson's in this you know his patrick wife shows up, yeah. he's great too his wife is one of the ones who's abducted love her character by the way you just mm-hmm. don't see a lot of female characters in westerns who are like competent doctors yes uh you know like she kind of like bosses the guys around you yeah. know in the town i mean that which that's really which made, i like it you know which made the absolutely gratuitous sex scene that much more disappointing that it was kept in that film uh because i was just like what is this what is this dude what 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 are we why why is this sex scene between this man and this wife well in the I'll, film? I'll make an argument for that okay, okay. because it, it did seem random right but here here's where i think that sex scene fit well it, it did right because all of a sudden we yeah, cut oh, away no, from I'm, the bar and we're back there and we're like oh okay they're they're having sex um right. that you don't see a lot of sex scenes in westerns okay and i also think the film is a meditation as most westerns are right but this one is a meditation on masculinity and um uh, what it means to be a man's man right and um patrick wilson's character is great because he's set up from the beginning as being this infirm right he's got this injury on his leg Mm -hmm. And, like a broken um, bone or something. It's it's something, right? Yeah. They never specify, but it looks bad, right? And he yeah. he can't really walk very well with it. Um, but uh, but um, you know, and and if I could just, I'm I'm not trying to be some kind of way here, but like the way that plays out, it's like she's she's dominating, right? I was gonna and say, then, so you're going then, for the dominance, yeah, yeah. And then, okay. but then he has to like, you know, oh, okay, let me do this the 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 right way, right? He and says then the he, right way, right? And and so I I think I think it just kind of. It's just another little sprinkle okay. there That's of, interesting. of trying can, can to roll. play on this. What does it mean to be like a man's man? Right. Um, I didn't necessarily need nudity. Right. But but right. Um, uh, but I did understand, I think, after thinking through it, like, you know, I was like, well, definitely this is a question of masculinity because in a normal setup right you would think that kurt russell's character is the one who's going to be like the six shooter and he's going to be you know he's going to take all these dudes out right but they run up against something you know a force an evil force that is just some of the nastiest stuff they will ever see right and um i don't think they were expecting that right and so uh, you know, violence begets more violence, um, and uh, sometimes you bite off more than you can chew. No pun intended, because they are cannibals. cannibals. Uh, so yeah. yeah, so it's it's you know, and it's just that was I, I remember seeing it for the first time because this was a revisit for me. Okay, um, and I just thought, man, this movie is so good at fusing those two things together, western and horror. Um, because you feel like you're in 
a really old school classic Western, right? I mean, we're on the, we got the mission, we're riding through the hills, we're making it work. It's tough. We don't, you know, we're, but we're man's man, you know, we're going to, we're going to make this happen. We're going to get uh, our people back. And of course it just doesn't really work out that way. And um, so it, it has uh, uh, some really interesting uh, playful things to say about the Western and our sort of traditional idea of the Western masculine hero, um, you know, uh, and I and that's, was, yeah. I, I thought I thought that the the Russell character really personified it though. Still, I mean, even yeah. Even but then, what happens to him, Jeff? What happens to him? Well, right. He I mean, goes he's out taken a hero. down. I know, <laughs> okay, but he goes yeah, out. Okay, a hero. yeah. Okay. Fair enough. You know, fair enough. He I mean, still gets I mean, his heroic moment. Yeah. Right. I mean, the, I mean, the, but, but even that heroism is, is recontextualized in a way when, uh, when we see a, folks, you're going to see a man cleaved in two. Like, literally, it's probably the most brutal, <laughs> brutal thing I've seen. You know, I was, I was in like, a I can't long wait time. for, I can't wait for Jeff to get to that scene. And he's I just cursing as, my name for As soon as I saw what was going on. <laughs> I just, I did, I did curse your name. Well, you're um, you're not the biggest fan of horror, so I, I understand. No, that. no, no, no. I, well, I have degrees of it. Yeah, it's like, a, you you're know. not the biggest fan of yes, horror, right? Yeah, you know, yeah. uh, but this, you know, Kurt Russell's character reassuring <laughs> the man being cleaved in two that he'll be avenged. That's a very yeah. heroic thing. Yeah. yeah, it's a very heroic, and it's also a very empathetic mm-hmm. moment. You know that you wouldn't see in a John Ford movie or you know anything like that usually the dying person you know they just sort of pat them on the chest and just go well die with dignity you know and it's just like this is the most undignified way you can die <laughs> you're going to be cleaved into and then eaten so you know what do you say you know and he just he does i will say that it's nice that you know they go back to that when he's richard jenkins character asks him you know why'd you do that and he's just like because what else that's what a decent person would have done right you know do i think i'm getting out of this no <laughs> yeah yeah well that's a that's a good point um that uh, uh you know our, our our hero has some empathy for those um for those people around him i think um one of the things i i I, I just I have to say this because it's been on my mind in this rewatch, um, and it's about sound. Mm-hmm. Um, something that I wanted in this movie, and it's just a personal thing. He he uses a lot of diegetic sound, right? So it's it's all um, you know natural things that you would hear. It's very raw. Yeah. So you hear the yeah, gravel, there's no sound you hear the rocks, either. you're right. You you have the the calls, right? That the that the troglodytes like that you know they they. They have this strange sort of whistle capability because they're uh, they don't really explain it fully, it, but it's, it, it looks like that when he Patrick Wilson cuts it out of the dude's yeah. throat later, it's like they've surgically implanted in everyone like a certain like windpipe, kind yeah. of like a tracheotomy, yeah, yeah, you know, kind yeah. Of weird thing. Yeah. It's really weird, but um, but kind of cool. The sound of it is kind of cool, and so I really liked what they were doing. But I think I think for me. Uh, I wanted a little bit of like uh, a little bit of a score, right? Like I just think yeah. a little bit of some sort of tension building music that's non-diegetic would have, I think, 
yes. built the suspense a little yes. bit more, right? Like would have, but but I, I get it. He, I think he was trying to just really keep that raw Western, you know, environment, but just just a little bit here and there. Well, it, you know, it certainly doesn't excuse that god awful song over the end credits. Yeah. I mean, yeah, that song I agree. Is yeah, it, it, I'm. I'm not even sure what that when was. A man but, uh, it, 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 comes to town. <laughs> yeah, it's like this. It's like this. It's like you expect Gary Cooper to like walk around the the corner. Well, you know, it also you know, it yeah. also like it it diminishes what the experience you just went through. Like this awful song comes on, and you're just like, because you'd be exiting the theater or getting, you know, and I'm just sitting there for about a solid minute listening to it watching the credits and i'm just like i turn it off i'm like oh thank god that's over (laughs) i mean it really did i I was just like all i could think of was just like what a what an awful choice yeah i just kind of turned the volume down yeah i just turned the volume down a little bit because it just wasn't my thing um but uh but that was a point i wanted to make about the sound because i just i just as a director i just thought you know i need more i just need a little bit more tension here maybe something that sounded a little bit musically like the call right of the of mm-hmm. those pipes right whatever just 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 something there and then i thought uh she has a line uh near the end after she realizes that they've all you know come out in a search party after her and she says the frontier is so rough because of you idiots yes and i just thought the whole movie probably started with that line or that sentence right uh, as a thematic right because um well i think you know, it, yeah yeah go ahead yeah i was gonna yeah. say too richard jenkins makes a line earlier in the film about the matthew fox character he's just like after he shoots what we can now assume are probably two mexican priests uh coming up in the darkness he's he says something like he just introduced them to manifest destiny right so those two yeah. lines are very parallel to me uh as far as saying like you know and not heavy-handed but it's certainly just like at least it was peppered in you know what i mean like it's just like i so yeah i i I got that from it as well like that this is you know it it, it, in a normal circumstance in history right search parties didn't always come back right i mean i mean this is this is a movie right so we 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 have some suspension of disbelief that somehow patrick wilson is going to make it through all of that terrain right with his with his injury i did not um i thought it was interesting did you like, did you really, that didn't bother you i was like oh come on no 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 be... it didn't it didn't bother okay, me. i'm okay. just saying i was i was pleasantly surprised like but but once once he goes down i'm just like Oh, oh, well, they're going to, you know, no one's getting out of this alive. Like, that's what I thought. Yeah. Yeah. That's what I thought. The first time I saw it, I thought, oh, this is really going to be like, everybody's going to die. Right. And that's just going to be the end is, is, you know, some search parties don't come back, which would have been a really, really stark realism sort of ending. Right. That's a, that's Um, more of a Paul Thomas Anderson. It is. It is. And I thought, well, maybe he's going to go there, right? Because uh, maybe he's going to be that brave because he had established this really raw Western, you know, from the sound to everything, right? And I thought, well, this is going to really, you know, because we we romanticize the Western, we romanticize the Western tropes and the Western themes. They've dominated American discourse for so long, right? Manifest Destiny at all right so i'm always looking for ways in which films are trying to uh subvert that right and i think um he does that to a certain extent uh just by fusing horror into the 
into the mix because if this was a John Wayne story, there would not have been cave dwellers. There wouldn't have been any of this sort of mystical element. It would have been Native Americans, right? It would right. have been you know the Cherokee or somebody that that you know you, you got a rid off the land or whatever. Um, um, and but you yeah, they have Charlton Heston playing an Indian. Yeah. We must bring our guns. Um, <laughs> sorry, I don't mean to be insensitive because I know it's a, it's a sensitive time right now. But um, yeah, the 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 you know all of that fuels uh, into Western tropes. To be honest with you, um, you know all of our all sure. of our current sentiments on guns. Absolutely. Um, but uh, but yeah, this man's white man's arrogance uh, in in in, uh, in this particular story. Um, you know, is definitely on display and what, you know, are the characteristics of that arrogance and that machismo? And then how does it sort of get picked apart? You know, I thought it was interesting that Patrick Wilson, who was his character, who's set up as the sort of the weakest of yes. all of them, right? Ends up being the one. And he's actually <laughs> described as the cowboy. Right, right. And he's the one, right, who ends up, uh, uh, you know, kind of, more or less saving uh the day um you know um at, at the end um but uh but yeah i just i i um i love movies that take risks and i love movies that oh try yeah to... this one's a big risk this yeah. is a big swing for the fences but, but why not right i mean you've got he had an this is an excellent cast i mean the cast oh, is great so good i mean you just give me, you so give me well richard cast. jenkins anytime love I mean, that guy and, man and by the way matthew fox like really sneaking up on you here. And I, I not since speed racer, would I say I, that, you know, <laughs> and I mean that in all seriousness, I know don't you love get that me. Movie. Don't I, get me started on speed racer. Look, um, yeah. <laughs> but it, great role. Um, I loved his, 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 his white costume. Right. The whole, I mean, this, right. This, yeah. Uh, yeah. It just, it just, you know, he's, he's a gentleman uh, of money right around, uh, around town. Um, uh, but yeah, there there are just little touches like that that flip the 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 sort of Western conventions. Like, you know, I love the scene with the mayor, right, where the mayor comes in, and they're not even talking to the mayor; they're talking to right. his wife, right, because she's the one who's like really in charge. <laughs> I just, you know, that's another little twist, right? You know, uh, in in classical Western tropes, um, you know. So I, I, yeah, I the first time I saw this, I just went, wow. They really took a big swing. Uh, a lot of that movie works for me, and I, I love it as sort of a standout Western because it fuses those genres together, and it does, you know, kind of tinker with some of those conventional tropes that we think of from from the Western, and, and, and it's great discussion fodder, uh, you know. And, of course, I'm a Kurt Russell whore, you know. I mean, if he's in, you know, I mean, I'll, oh, anything. I'll watch anything he's in. I will. Um, Although I uh, still haven't seen him in Guardians of the Galaxy just because I can't. I can't deal with Guardians of the Galaxy, and I do want to watch him in it, but I just, uh, I just can't commit to it. I'm not a Marvel person, but that's a really good movie. That's a really good movie. Okay, well, that's fair. That's fair. But he, he I, and Chris, he and Chris Pratt working off each other really well. It's fair. It's it's fun. He's fun in that movie. Um, oh, I have no doubts. I have no doubts. Uh, but I, just, like, um, I, I detested that first Guardians of the Galaxy movie. So and everybody oh. was just like, oh, you got to go see this. Oh, you got to go see this. So I'm sitting there and watching it. And I'm just like, uh-huh. Like that. I mean, that was literally my reaction to it. I went, uh-huh. And then I got up when it was over and went, uh-huh. 
just like that. So that's, well, I'm I may be in a in a minority here, but I think Volume Two is a little better than Volume One. Okay. To be honest with you, I think the story is a little richer, deeper. Um, but uh, um, and then, of course, I have yet to see three. I'm sure that's that's coming this year at some point. I think at some point, I'm sure. Um, but yeah, um, he's Russell's great. He does great work. Um, and like you're saying, Richard Jenkins is fantastic. Oh, um, so you know, and Patrick Wilson and Matthew Fox. I mean, it's just that's a stellar lead. They probably all took cuts to do the movie. Oh, I'm sure. Um, and uh, or pay pay cuts rather, and um. Uh, but it, it's not like this movie didn't have money. I mean, they 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 obviously had a a, a, a good budget. I mean, some of the production value is really strong. Um, and um, yeah, I just I just I think um, you know, I was trying to think back, and I I think it was probably Heels Have Eyes, Tremors. Like those are the other movies I think of automatically as as kind of being Western horror. Mm-hmm. but they're set in contemporary times, times you know so so it's not this is bone tomahawk set in the late 1800s so yes um uh so it's really kind of nearing the end of the century and or at least i get that sense of like how there was transition was coming but it was still kind of slow right they mentioned like the telegraph and the, you know i mean I, you know so I, I guess there was still modern communications the railroad stuff like that still being still being built or constructed in their area at least. But, um, uh, but those, um, those other movies too, that I mentioned, especially tremors, you know, combining horror and Western for comedic effect, right. Sometimes it's for comedy. Right. And, and um, I just, I don't know. I think this movie stands out to me as, as a, as a genre hybrid experiment that, uh, that works and that, you know, that you can find something about it that, um, that you can really get behind or, or get into. So, you, but it is you, it is graphic. It is graphic yeah. for sure. Did you did you ever feel like it dragged? I, I felt like in times it dragged a little bit. I, this film is two hours and ten minutes long. Yes, yes. Um, I, you know, I did have a little fatigue during it at mm-hmm. some points because I was just like, oh, a walking scene, like you know, and and I was just like, oh. that's where a music score would have helped in, a little. Right, but, exactly. but 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 yes, I agree with you. I think the tension kind of got a little lost in those moments where they're sort of campfire contemplating, right? Um. I mean, and it's I not what he was going for, right? But it, right. It, it just doesn't seem to land because it just there, there, there are ten, there are these chunks throughout the film. Not you know, it, at various places, of it, like a ten minutes here or five minutes here, where I'm just like, okay, you know, this is this is kind of dragging just a little bit, right? You know, needs right. a little help. Right. It's either got it either needs a little help or it's got to go, like, right? You know, which makes me wonder. It's just like Jesus, what was the original cut of this film? Yeah, it might have it it might have been longer for sure. I mean, I, I you know there might have been more. Um, I could I. I guess if you're cutting some more of the slow parts, then uh, you know I don't know. Do we need more action at the end? Mm-hmm. Should there be more of a you know of a battle? Should there be more of a you know because that that did seem to kind of go down pretty quick, yes. right? Where like they were getting taken down like you know pretty pretty quick. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, no, I agree with you. I mean, I think that's very fair. Uh, it could have, it could have been, you know, two hours or a little under, you could have found a, a way to chop. Yeah, I'm not saying like there, you got to chop a bunch of it out. I'm just saying like right. just some of this, you know, I would say overall, I would chop 15 minutes out of this film. And I think, I think you'd come out just fine. 
Yeah. 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 David Arquette's in this too. We should not forget that. <laughs> oh, right? we should not forget that David Arquette right? is at the He's at the very beginning, film. right? He kind of his his character kind of propels the the whole thing because the whole thing is that, is that his character lands in this town, but he stole yes and desecrated, you know, and one unfortunate, of these, and right, unfortunately yeah. desecrated. He, he desecrates right. by mistake. <laughs> That's right. He does not desecrate intentionally. So it just it makes you wonder about the again, the the universe cares not for your concerns. <laughs> That's right. That's right. <laughs> there's all these there's all these threats that loom that we don't even, you know, have any control over whatsoever. Who knew that kicking over some rocks was gonna, you know, <laughs> bring down a cannibalistic that's, that's right, <laughs> you know, uh, uh race uh, you know down a rampage. Yeah. yeah. Oh my goodness. Well, you can get in touch with us a number of ways. Uh you can uh email us lonelyphds at gmail.com. Or you can click on the link to our Discord over in our show notes. That's where we talk about all things about this show, about films, just in general, whatever our whimsy is. That's my word for the week, by the way, whimsy. Just like the way it sounds. Uh, <laughs> wee! Wee! <laughs> off we go. Uh, as always, please uh, subscribe, rate, and review the show on Apple Podcasts, Podbean, Google, or wherever you get your podcast from. I'm not here to tell you how you should listen to things. That's not my job. That's not what I do. I don't control the media, but uh, we'd sure appreciate it. Uh, if you gave us, uh, you know, can we just say, just go ahead and give us five stars. Give I, us some love. Give us some love, man. Give us some love. But uh, until next time, I'm Dr. Jeffrey Hayes. I'm Dr. Joseph Watson. We'll see you then.